Welcome to episode seven of the Encouraging the Conversation podcast. This is the HealthWise podcast where we encourage the conversation around wellness and resilience. I'm super excited for today's guest. Uh, it's going to be an amazing podcast. Uh, join me again, our, our co-host for today, Anna, all the way from HealthWise Americas. Welcome in, Anna. Hey, guys. Thanks, Ross. Happy to be here for this one. It's going to be a goodie, eh? Yes, I'm excited. Uh, and our guest probably doesn't need any introduction to our flighties out there, but today we've got Mr. Todd Horton joining us all the way from Australia. Welcome in, mate. Thank you, Roscoe, and thank you, Fish. Good to be here. Again, like I said, probably don't need an introduction, mate, but uh, give us your elevator pitch. Who, who are you? How long have you been with the company? You know, Tell us a bit about you know what you've done at Flight Center. Sure. I've been super, super lucky with my career. I have been with Flight Center now for nearly 23 years and have been running HealthWise ever since day one. So before that, I was uh, at a health retreat, the Golden Door Health Retreat in part of Australia and the Gold Coast and was running all the activities and seminars and had an opportunity to meet the legend himself, Screw, and his wife, Jude, and their family. So they came out there in 1999 and he and I just hit it off straight away, just a bromance instantly. Uh, We were riding and running and jumping off poles and doing all the crazy stuff and yeah he had a opportunity to see if I wanted to join the company and set up Healthwise back in 99 and yeah it was all from then it's just been a phenomenal journey so traveled to I think I'm up to 85 different countries around the world now and as you guys as everyone listening um, a thousand buzz nights and everything that's come in between so we've had the I guess the best opportunity to to mold this business into what we want it to become, to be the best health and wellness business around the world. And because of people like yourselves that uh, have helped run the business in all the different countries. And we now, yeah, continue to grow and build back up up after COVID and a few other changes. But over that time, I've set up a number of different businesses in Flight Center. So we've done the Global Academy of uh, Fitness Academy as well, sorry. So we looked after Cert 3, Cert 4 training for personal trainers and building that into all our different uh, networks around Australia. And then we set up Flight Center Sports and Events. So that was another business that absolutely went gangbusters. So I'll talk about that a bit more down the track, but it's been a great opportunity, I guess, for me to to work alongside, like I said, all of the amazing leaders in the company um, and to make sure that we're focusing on the health and wellness of all of our people around the world. As you know, being dragged down the wormhole of, of drinking and partying and all the, the big late nights and we want to try and balance that out and that's been every day. Honestly, there has not been one day in that 23 years that I haven't wanted to come to work and do something. I, I still love it and I enjoy spending time with Screw. He, like I said, he's one of my best mates. We, we do stuff all the time. We're actually going for a mountain bike ride down in Byron Bay this Saturday and catching up which then ultimately means probably two hours of riding and six hours of drinking. <laughs> but that's what it's all about. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell, just health-wise global through and through. Just love everything about it. And you're also a global Hall of Famer too, Matt, isn't that right? Yeah, that was very, very humbling a couple of years ago in Hawaii and, yeah, started seeing the the, the montage of people talking about me and I didn't realise at the start. But then once, yeah, you hear all the lovely things that, people have got to say and and how yeah I've had an impact on their lives throughout those years and and yeah it was such a amazing moment it's it's this is my office here at home but it's one one of the the plaques that I've got up it's it means a lot like I do I do look at it every day and and remember what a great 
journey it's been um, such an amazing career and and like i said just helping people is is my passion like just trying to make sure that i can work and come and do as many different things and different um, challenges and health that we can do from marathons or walking or nutrition or anything that it is uh, and like i said working with you guys to make sure that that actually is, gets delivered across the world yeah it was very very amazing to receive that award awesome well, thanks for the intro, mate. Super excited for today's podcast. As you know, we have a theme here with these podcasts, so we start it with Healthwise Speed Datings. Uh, so we have three questions for you today, and we would love to get your answers. Our question number one for this morning is, what is the craziest thing you've done in school? It was actually, I'm <laughs> funny, it's a, a sad thing in a way, but it was crazy. But we had uh, one of the girls in, this was year six, and she was up the top of a set of stairs, and we were below and that back in the day this is a fair while ago there was those really sort of thick metal grates and somebody had dropped a coin under the grate and one of my mates didn't realize but she'd gone to pick up the grate and get this coin out and he jumped from the top of the stairs and landed and actually took her finger off so i had to run and grab her finger and run it to the sick bay and we put it in an ice bag uh, and yeah, I still remember that vividly, that scream and she was so tough. So we, we certainly wasn't an unbelievable outcome, but we did get to save the rest of her finger. But unfortunately not, yeah, the best excitement at school. <laughs> wow, that, that, is, that, is, that is crazy. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of a theme with our questions today. The next one is what's the craziest bit you've ever made? It actually very good question that. It was on a HealthWise conference. Uh, I don't know if you guys were there. It might have been right at the start. We were over in Numea and we were playing. There was a whole HealthWise team back in that day. So it might have been 2002 and we were playing ping pong. And I do think of myself as okay at sports. I can do most things. And this day we ended up playing, who was at the time, Richie Carlin, who was running New South Wales. And he beat me 15 nil. So I had to do a complete nude run around the entire <laughs> resort in Yumea. <laughs> it was sort of a bad bet that I lost pretty badly. <laughs> good fun, though. Yeah, not, funny. Not good for the guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And our last question for Speed Daddy, mate, is what have you learned about life from your kids? I love everything about my family and my kids um the the fact that they're brutally honest um they are super nice like we've always talked about being as nice as possible and and growing up in that instilling that in them but it was funny just uh last month i finally was had an opportunity to buy a new car and i haven't had a new car in 15 years and, and i got a nice car and they just said, Dad, you're a dickhead. <laughs> you, look like, you look like a dickhead. Got a Range Rover, like a nice car. And they went, you just, you should have just got like a busted old four-wheel drive. That's what you like. That's what you do. So I love, yeah, they've taught me, I guess, a bit more, to be a bit more humble. And so I don't know if I'll keep this car anymore. They don't like it. So. <laughs> but I, I do love it. So I just have to cop it on the chin that they give me shit. Yeah, so good. So good. Always got to have your kids there to keep you humble, right? So Today's podcast is themed around resilience with a really awesome story uh, that we'll get into in a, in a second. But just to um, give the guys a bit of an overview of what today we're talking about is, can you give us a bit of a summary about what you did in Namibia and your background with other extreme endurance sports? Sure. It was something that, well, Namibia I'll get to, it was a bit of a um, out of the blue one, but 
prior to that, like I was mentioning, we had set up flights in a sports and events. And that was where we were doing marathons and Ironman races around the world. And we'd organize it for clients and they'd book through flights and sports and events for their entry, accommodation, airfare, pre and post, that sort of stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, really, really tough job, but I had to go and facilitate these races. So I had to go with them and, and make sure that the guests were having a good time. So at the same time, I'd get to race. So I'd get to do Ironmans all around the world or Xterras and marathons and so i never really was doing long long events but it was always something fun um always wore my boardies that's the 100 percent no negotiating I, I never wanted to look or feel like an athlete so i did those sort of events and loved it but then namibia was an opportunity just prior to that we'd met one of one of the other founders i was saying chatting with screw bill bill james so he another founder of flight center and he um, had set up with his son on track expeditions and he was doing these other things around Kokoda. So we had a chance with the Flight Centre Foundation. We actually ran the Kokoda track through Papua New Guinea. And that was one of those, again, I guess a crazy thing. We did it in two and a half days when normally you take seven. We were raising money for the foundation and and it just started, yeah, me thinking, I guess, what's possible with the body. And part of that introduction was that Bill James's son, Andrew, was working with one of our flights and sports and events employees, Bobby Hale, and they had entered this Namibian ultramarathon race and Andrew had another mate that was doing it with him, but his mate got injured. So then he said, Bobby, do you know anyone that would want to do something crazy like running 250 kilometres across the soft sand of Namibian desert? And straight away, yeah, Bobby called me and it all started. So I guess I hadn't even thought about it. I hadn't even looked at something like of that extent and especially not in Namibia. So it just, essentially it's a, a an ultra marathon classed as the toughest one in the world. Uh, you're running soft sand, you do a marathon, a minimum of a marathon every day. And one day you do the, the long march, which is close to 92 kilometers. And then you run into the night and everything. So I'll, I'll go into that detail, but yeah, it is essentially a, a crazy, long, hard, hot, just brutal, uh, every, every aspect of, yeah, what you think a, a, a tough event would be and on your body and your mind and just Namibia delivered on everything. So Todd, what made you say yes? Why did you, why did you want to do that? You hadn't looked it up. It wasn't like a dream. It wasn't like a bucket list. It wasn't something, you know, you'd always kind of aspire to do. Was it like for a challenge? Did you just want to make your wife Sue worry about you? Like, what? why did you say yes? Why did you jump on that? Yeah, really good question. I, oh, it was one of those moments where, and not only was it, it was going to be easy because we had an entry. It's the sort of thing that you can't really normally get an entry into without preparing and planning and and it was expensive. I think it was six thousand US just to enter, and and Andrew had was willing to sponsor us to do that. So there was there was no cost, and it was just getting over there. I caught up with Dan, our healthwise leader, before it, so I was there anyway. I, it was funny. I I guess it was honestly to see if I could do it. I I, I felt pretty comfortable doing Ironmans um, and some longer stuff, but had never ever done anything i'd never run over say 50 kilometers ever so it was just we we did a one great ocean road ultra marathon what they class ultra down there was just a 50k and i'd 
was busted. Like it, even doing that, I thought 50K, there's no way I could take another step after doing that. And then I thought, well, I might as well do it. It's there. It's It sounds amazing. Like I've never been to Namibia. Sue, my wife, knows it's just if there's a challenge, I will take it on. I'll give it a crack. This was probably the worst preparation for an event I'd ever had. It was it was less than two months essentially out from the race because Andrew's friend got injured and then this spot came up, decided, didn't really do anything about it for a few weeks. So really only had six weeks of training to lead into it. And even in that six weeks, I just did one 21K run on the beach just to see if I could do it. So yeah, it's, it's always, I've always wanted to challenge myself in every capacity. So I knew my body was going to be struggling but more of a mental thing like I really wanted to see how resilient I was and and if I could get through something as big as that and and even funnier I guess we Bobby and I both got an entry so Bobby had he was part of our Kokoda run when we started and he was probably in the opposite boat so he hadn't done the training either but he started on the first day of the Kokoda and we did a 15 hour day running and he didn't turn up. So there's three of us got to the checkpoint. We're showered and sleeping and trying to get as much nutrition and food and, and water in. And then 22 hours later, Bobby turns up, collapses on the floor, crying, emotional. He's passed out. He's dehydrated. He got helicoptered out. Like he didn't even get to do the race. So then all of a sudden, then here's Bobby, who's meant to be doing Namibia as well. So we were so excited that something new and he he never completed Papua New Guinea with Kokoda so it was a good chance to yeah do it with him but then as as his world it seems to happen to him a lot he wasn't even drinking uh three weeks out from going over there and he's at a wedding and he was walking across the dance floor and he slipped on a spilt drink and did his ACL so he he actually never got to race but he he came over to Namibia uh, as support crew, which is really nice because he had everything planned. But so it, it sort of changed. I was thinking I'm going to have somebody I know there and do stuff, but then I never actually got to see him or spend time with him because he was always out super early or out late setting the course and helping. So it was a very solo effort that it ended up being. So that was, like you said, fish for the reason, I guess, is it was there. There's, there's no, no, no other reason other than I had to give it a crack and see if it was possible. Tell him you laugh, eh? Absolutely crazy. Uh, and thinking about that, mate, like you said that you didn't really get a, a lead in time to train six weeks. You did a 21K beach run. So you obviously weren't going in super well trained for this. You're a, you're a really fit guy and you can probably go out and run marathons most days, but 250Ks is, is a lot to, lot to do. So obviously there's a lot of mental strength going on there, a lot of resilience and things like that. And how do you push through and what do you tell yourself, I guess, to dig deep when it comes to you know, pulling something out of yourself to keep going, you know, thinking about those 92Ks that you had to do all at once? Like, where do you go there? Yeah, it was amazing. Like it really surprised me how tough it was and honestly the first day so i guess the lead up was good we, we go to swakamond and we got in to meet the people there, there was a hundred and something people doing it from 40 different countries around the world uh, and we had to meet all these different people and you, it's it's completely self-supported so you have to carry everything that you need for that 250 kilometers you need to carry it in your back, backpack and they don't supply anything other than water at your checkpoints and, and the local Namibian tribes boil it up 
and and so it's part of the spectacle, I guess. But um, when we did the weigh-in, my pack was fifteen point eight kilos, and the, the the leader, like the person who was essentially the the, the world global champ, had a pack of less than six kilos. Oh, wow. So I was I was just a muppet. Like I I took everything. I Fish sent me a, a playlist that I had from, and I took a, a, a had a battery charger. Thanks, Fish, and all that sort of stuff. So I had my phone, I had headphones, and all this food and chocolate. I love chocolate, so I'd, I'd taken all this food, and everyone else is just going, "You're going to die!" Like this is nobody should be carrying that sort of weight on their back for that long. And I guess on the first day, it really hit home that. I was a dickhead <laughs> and I couldn't change it. I, I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't leave it anywhere. I had to carry it and it was so hard. So the, the, literally the first day we ran along the skeleton coast and it was soft sand from literally the second we took over the start line and off camber. So you're running in the soft sand leading into the water for, we did 48 kilometers, I think that day. And it was just, I don't know, hitting, hitting really hard home that I, I wasn't prepared. I, I hadn't trained. I, I, I yes, like you said, I yeah, I'd love it, and I can go running. I can maybe do a marathon without too much training, and that's great. Not fast or anything, but could finish. But then this was like, holy shit! This is the first day of yeah, another two hundred kilometers to go, and I'd already because it was off camber, I'd already hurt my knee, my inside, my medial ligament, my arches. I guess that was probably one of the dumbest things too. I had a brand new pair of shoes, which we tell everybody never, ever do anything <laughs> with a brand new pair of shoes or any clothing or anything that you hadn't tried. And unfortunately, because I'd left it so late, you have to get gaiters sewn around the outside of your shoes so that sand doesn't get into your socks and create even more blisters. You're going to get blisters no matter what, but even worse. And I couldn't find anyone in Australia to do that. So we ended up finding the, this guy, bootlegger, that ended up doing a botched job but I picked it up on the Friday as I flew out the next Saturday morning so I didn't actually get a chance to even try my shoes to see that they weren't going to let sand in unfortunately they weren't the best shoes they're good for road running but for soft sand running so both my arches ended up collapsing in both sides of the feet more so on the inside of my knee um, on the right knee so it was like somebody was just stabbing a knife every single step and that was day one so I was just from a mental perspective, like I was like, all right, I just, you get back to camp and you've got nothing. Like you've got people around you and that, which is great. You're just trying to recover, getting ready for the next day, which is another 52 kilometers, I think it was. And you're in the hot desert, so you can't really recover in any way. If you're ever seen doing anything other than drinking or putting it in your dehydrated food at meal times, then you're disqualified. So you couldn't rinse your face. You couldn't wash your clothes out you couldn't do anything so um it was phenomenally stinky so we had eight eight people in a tent um so you're sharing with people you don't know and they're all i'm a terrible really bad sleeper because i listen and hear everything and everyone's a bloody snorer if there are some reason i don't know why it is but ultra marathons normally as i should have been so tired i should just fall asleep uh, in a second but everyone was bloody snoring and it was actually the only good thing of that was waking up or being woken up with the snoring and getting up at the middle of the night and I walked outside and looked up at the sky and it is the most spectacular skyline as in actually stars and just 
there's not one single bit of artificial light anywhere for hundreds of kilometers. So it was just something that'll stick with me forever. Just w what a moment that was. And, and that, that sort of helped me, I guess, to dig deeper and, and I'm here. I'm in one of the most spectacular parts of the world doing a race that I need to try and see if I can finish. And it was just phenomenal. So, yeah, so it was one of those things, I guess, just learning how, how hard I could push myself and, Day after day, it just got worse and worse. And I just had to keep finding new ways to keep pushing. So, Todd, I was on one of your email groups. And I know you had access to some sort of computer or something like once a day for X amount of minutes. And I remember you were saying a couple of times you go to these dark places, like mentally. And, you know, you talked about the pain and the stabbing in the knee and all the stuff you were feeling physically. But when your head goes south, what do you do? Like how, what do you think about? Like, do you think about your kids? You just saying about the stars and okay, that's beautiful. That's, you know, a few minutes, but you know, in the moment when you're going through miles and miles of this sandy, you know, tough, tough terrain, like, what are you thinking about? Yeah. It was... How do you get the next foot in front of the other? Like one foot in front of the other. Is it step by step, minute by minute? You playing it by the hour? What's it going was, on? It, it was amazing. And I mean, like you mentioned that w w essentially on three of the days, we had access to a satellite uplink where, um, yeah, people could send a message in and I could send one message out. And that that was honestly, by day three, that was one of the things that I thought about every single step. I was just like, I just want to let people know that I'm still going, uh, I'm still alive. But, but the emotions of reading those messages was phenomenal. Like I'd I was covering my eyes, putting my sunnies on. I was crying like, uh, more than I've ever cried. And, and that was something that surprised me that I think I'd push myself so hard physically and that was just getting harder and harder. But then to then actually have 10 minutes of, of time to get access to these messages from really close friends and family. And it was giving me more reason, I guess, to, to never, ever think about quitting. And I never actually thought about giving up. I thought I'm going to probably have to walk my knee, my knees and my arches. And I'd had chafe on my back. My bodies were the, probably the best thing ever, but the worst thing ever. They were so good because everyone would just go, man, who's this crazy dude? This Aussie in the, in his board shorts. And it was, um, it just created so much pain because the, where the backpack was rubbing and then my back, my, my actual bodies, um, the side of it and just chafe everywhere, which I won't go into too much detail where else it was, but it was just, um, I, I guess the, the, on the longest March day, uh, it was a long way, you know, so you, you finish the longest March and then you have, uh, essentially whatever time you finish, you get the next part of that day to rest before you do the next one. So you're doing 90, well, essentially, it was funny. I looked at my Garmin and that was one thing that did drive me. So I was measuring steps and that day was a, a record for me that it was 108,000 steps. And it just was phenomenal to think, well, that's what I've got to. And then when I was in so much pain, I would get to the point where I'd try and just shuffle. And I'm, re I'm a, such a stupidly competitive person. So I wasn't just there to try and finish because I was actually doing quite well. So I, I would get to the point where I'd be into a, a, I wouldn't even say a job, but I was, I was certainly shuffling along and moving okay. But I would look at my watch and I'd literally just put 500 meters in the plan. So I'd get 500 meters and run and then I'd stop, have a breather, have a quick drink and then try and walk for 
300 meters. It was it was between 250 and 300 meters, and then I'd try and jog again. So I'd just have these milestones, and and I honestly on that long March day, it just got worse and worse, and I didn't see anybody for six hours. I was by myself in the middle of Namibian desert. Everyone had spread out to that extent because it's such a long day, and you're climbing over sand dunes and going to different parts of pain and the mind just was numb. Like I, I would go through everything from even thinking about those messages and, and thinking about, well, my wife and kids are just around the next corner. They're going to be cheering husband and dad on and I'd cry again. And then I'd be go to the next section and I'd, I'd see there's a massive sand dune that I have to climb over and you're literally hands and feet climbing over this sand dune and just brutally hot, like 45 degrees in the middle of the day. And then just, block it down and then I'd finally come up to somebody and we'd have a chance to just shuffle together and talk and a lot of them like I said from different countries so it didn't uh, language barrier was was difficult in some of the cases but on that end of the longest day the rule was after 6 p.m when the sun was setting you had to pair up with somebody so the checkpoint was set up and if you got to that checkpoint alone you had to wait for the next person to come and that could have been four or five hours before somebody came. But luckily there was a Taiwanese guy that was in front of me and he had been there for 20 minutes. So he was rested and I got there and I was in a bad, really bad way. Um, My knee was, like I said, worse than a knife. Like it was as though somebody was just jabbing and, and ripping my ligaments every single step. So I was trying to, with a straight leg on my right leg, I'd swing it around to the side so I wouldn't bend it. But then my left leg would be bending and, just take one sort of hop and step at a time. And then he and I stayed together. And that was the rule. You had to, no matter what, you had a head torch. And there was actually, uh, which we didn't know how serious it was, but there was actually a lion, a lioness and two cubs that were following pretty much where our race was. And they tracked her. So there was actually a lion um, tracking guy that was in his truck. And at about 86k so this is close to midnight we've been running for 10 plus hours and and this truck just had no engine on no lights and it just coasted past us and we didn't even hear it or see it until it was right on us and he just yelled out and just said just keep going don't miss there's pink pink tape that you need to follow so little every couple of hundred meters there was a pink flag in the sand so we just had to keep trying to spot that and we didn't realize but this lioness was Essentially, by the time we got the report, it had come within 400 meters of where we were. And we didn't know that at the time, but we did find that out the next day. And it really was such a a moment. Like it was like, holy crap, this could have been crazy because absolutely I would have been the slowest out of the two of us. So the the (laughs) line would have eaten me first. But it was just one of those moments, again, just I'll never forget that feeling looking up at the stars thinking I'm in the middle of Namibia, there's lions around. You could hear like hyenas and all the the noise and animals around. And it just meant when we got to about four or three or four Ks to go, so hitting 12 hours, uh, the tribe, the local tribe plays the drums and they go for every single finisher. So they're banging the drums and getting that just amazing feeling that you think, my God, this is one of the biggest days I've ever done in my life we've made it and it was just the best feeling in the world crossing the line. So I think from going to all those dark places and being so busted 
to then being able to cross the line in in absolute tears and and knowing that you still had more to go, but this was just the longest day and the hardest day ever to to have done that by myself and got through eighty percent of it by myself was just phenomenal um, to look back on now. Just to think that's something I know I could I could do it again. I've done it. I could be dropped in the middle of a desert and or a stranded island or whatever and go for a swim, cross whatever it is. Like I think it, it's one of those things. I think mentally I know I I could push myself to to the end. Like I, I feel like it could have just kept going if I had to. So it was such a, such a memorable day. It was awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned that some of those emotions just after that big day started to come out when you crossed the line, but what about when you actually reached the, the final finish line? What was that like um, when you finally crossed? Did you let everything go? Um, what about all those emotions that, you know, came across you? What was that experience like? Yeah, it was a funny one. So the, you finish another marathon after that big day. Um, so I, I was just thinking, I just, by that stage, I was like, yeah, let's just get this done. I'm, I've had enough. I've got 240Ks. Like, why would you possibly set another 10 kilometers just to finish? So it was a bit of a, a mixture because, I, like I said, I was competitive and, and it was all of the champion of champions. So it was actually the, the people that had won one of these Racing the Planet races around the world, they got an invite. So it was the best of the best that were there. So it was phenomenal that I'd held my position. So I sort of fluctuated from... 14th to 17th and back and forth and that like I said I, I sort of wanted that last day to be more enjoyable than it was because I thought we've pushed so hard we're here but there was one guy that so I was currently 14th and this guy that was 15th just had that eye of the tiger he just wanted to beat me and I just hated that last 10 kilometers in soft sand everything was broken I had nothing left I couldn't had my tape I'd honestly couldn't see my feet there was so much tape trying to hold me together and rash everywhere and he put on a push so he really tried to go as fast as he could and I just couldn't let him beat me after all that time so the last 10ks was probably the hardest physically because I I was like I said I, I honestly broken to the point where I thought this is stupid like why have I done this and I'd sort of lost that feeling of how emotional and happy I was but then I beat the fucker so <laughs> it was um that was probably one of the best feelings to actually cross the line prove that I'd beaten him held my position and they have a cold beer and a pizza waiting for you after just eating dehydrated food and and water for the the whole 250k's and it was amazing. Like it, it I, instantly, I just wanted to call my wife and kids and, and chat to them, but couldn't, there was no reception or anything until we got back to town, but it was thinking about actually what it achieved and, and you get a massive big kick-ass medal, which I, I hang up. It's in the garage. It's sort of, I don't really look at much of it. When I, when I do feel like I need to go back there, I, I look at those medals and the other events I've done and, and it really does take me back to what a brilliant, adventure it was and how fun it was so it was it was interesting though because we'd not eaten so much and I'd had everything go wrong so like my guts were shutting down and bloody bleeding places where I shouldn't been bleeding and it was just horrendous and because we were so excited when we finished they jumped on a bus and we go back to town and I just ate and drank burgers I had 10 rums without even thinking about it it was just so much trying to get into my body and my, my guts just weren't ready for it. So they just totally disagreed with everything. And we got on the bus to go back to the airport straight away to fly out. And 
I actually collapsed on the tarmac when I was getting taken from Joburg to then get the connecting flight back into head back home to Australia. So they had to put me in a wheelchair and I was sweating and ready to yeah, lose every bodily fluid that I had. Um, and they got me into the bathroom and got everything out and sorted myself. But then it was on a different airline. So I then had to go on to Etihad and luckily I got through customs because I was just sweating profusely and just sick as a dog. And that, that entire flight home, I just had to try and get through without vomiting and shitting myself. And it was, it, it again just proved proved to me that I'd pushed as much as I felt I could push. Like I, there was not much left uh, in the tank and didn't do much running for a, a few days after that. So took a bit of time off and, but yeah, look look back on it fondly. That that there's a photo of me holding a beer and the the medal, and I do yeah look back on that very fondly. So, what was the biggest thing you learned about yourself? I know you think you can probably do anything. You just spoke about you know being dropped in the middle of nowhere, and you can make your way home. You can figure it all out. Does that give you confidence to do pretty much anything that's thrown your way? Like, what did you learn? And after that, tell me some of the joys. You talked about the stars, but what else was joyful on that? Yeah, I, I definitely have learnt more about me as a person. Um, I know, I, I, like I said, I always will give things a go. Uh, I always encourage everyone else to do that as well. I, I hate lazy people. I hate people that come up with excuses and don't do things and don't enjoy life. So I think it reinforced that that's what I want to do and I want to encourage and teach as many people as possible that you and, and honestly, it's, it's, it's running or walking a hundred meters. You don't, doesn't have to be a bloody ultra marathon through the desert. It has to be something that you're not doing now. And if you just, I guess I, I really try and reinforce that now that I, I know personally that I got so much out of it and, and I, it, I love bringing it up as in, sorry, when it's brought up, I love talking about it. I, I never actually bring it up myself. I love passing that on to other people and, and showing them, uh, I guess, what is possible and, and, and yeah, the joy, the fun parts of it was was the competitive side. Like as much as I hated it, I loved it. I loved being pushed. I loved knowing that I'd beaten champion of champions that that trained for this shit all the time, and they wear proper lycra and a six kilo backpack, and they <laughs> they know what they're doing. And I love that fact that I just look like a regular person that has a crack. And meeting great people, like there was a couple of guys from from South Africa that had been wanting to do it for years and years and that was probably where the rums at the end came we just were having a great time and we just kept drinking and talking about other things that we've got planned and stories and but having having that ability to like I said to see the stars to, to see what Namibia has to offer and uh, other than sand and smelly sea lion along the way and that sort of stuff there wasn't too much in a few lines here and there but um, it was just so beautiful to see a lot of nothing like it was just exactly that there was just sand dunes for, for hundreds and hundreds of kilometers but that was spectacular that was something that yeah you're just never going to experience and the fact that we we're out there by ourselves running it and, and and that one day like i said you're climbing hands and feet climbing up this massive sand dune i think we got to 700 meters elevation and it's one of the biggest sand dunes in the world and then you just run on the precipice of this sand dune so you got one foot on either side trying to just get through this soft, soft sand um, for about 10 kilometers. Like it is just oh. phenomenal to think that that's, that's there and you're in the middle of nowhere doing something crazy. And 
I'll always always remember that side of it that it's it does bring joy. It, it's like I said, honestly, the messages from from everyone. I, I read through it like I it's funny just talking about this but I haven't thought about it for a long time so I printed out some of the stuff that friends had sent through and it's just amazing like it it puts a lump in my throat every single time I, I look at it and knowing that like messages from both of you guys like I, that was so nice to see and, and now I said just to look back on it and, and know the friendship that we've got but knowing that you were sort of part of that journey as well and, and I would 100% do it for you guys when you decide to do your next big crazy <laughs> whatever yeah, it is right. so <laughs> it's just been yeah such such a proud moment uh to tick off um for me both mentally and physically so i mean that's like we said it's it's about resilience it's 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 knowing that it's possible it's it's fun it's exciting you get so much more out of life if you do push yourself and you really, like I said, I'll, I'll continue to push that through my kids. My wife does it with the whole family. It's just everything that you go day to day, you've got a decision, you've got a choice to make. And, and that's what I really want to reinforce it. Everyone needs to make that right decision. And, and it's not going to happen every day. It certainly is nothing, that, but it's more about you need to wake up happy. You need to do things that you enjoy and don't be down in the dumps. There's no need. There's just so much good stuff going on in the world. And helping everyone else and and without your health and wellness you've got nothing so you really should be doing what you can every single chance you get to make that choice and you know just think about those injuries mate like going back to those they sound pretty horrific you know when you get that pain somewhere you know whether it's your knee or your arches or you're bleeding from places like you mentioned you probably shouldn't be do you ever go down a bit of a spiral thinking that you might miss uh, something up long term or do you have any concerns about those ankles or um, knees perhaps taking you away from, I don't know, your future surfing with your kids or, or um, that sort of thing? Yeah, this one, normally I don't. I think it's just a moment in time. It's an injury, it'll pass. But this this was so prolific, like horrendously painful and not going away. Like even after a sleep through the, the night to then get up and it felt as bad as it did the last step I took on the last day. So it was, I, I honestly did think I'd created some long-term damage. Um, I, I tried everything. I, I was cutting some padding out of one of the sleeping bags to try and put under my arches to try and build them up a little bit because I just felt like every step was like flattening and tearing. And my knee, I still have troubles with it. Like it's still something there, but um, it's probably a good memory. Like I, whenever I do a run I still feel that same part of my knee and I don't need to get anything done I, I I damaged it playing footy and there's other things that it's probably I'm going to damage myself I broke my collarbone mountain biking I've done so many crazy things so I, I know that I'm going to do more of this and and ultimately that's what I am and and who I am to keep pushing so I when I was racing though that was in my mind a lot um but never got to a point where it was I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna take my pack off and sit down and call it quits. It was oh, I'll get through this if it's damaged. If I have to get surgery, I'll do that. But luckily, it was just it, something's gone wrong. It's it's never going to be as it was. But yeah, it was so um, exciting to cross that finish line and and you forget about the pain as soon as you you finish that big challenge for for a bit at least. Let's talk about that. Was it 92 kilometers that day? That was the big march or whatever you were saying it was. I'm guessing that's the farthest you've gone. You said you did like a 50 or, or something like that before. 
how do you mentally prepare to conquer that day? So the night before, even, you know, you read the program, oh, I got to do this, this on the plane right over, you're figuring it out. What do you tell yourself? Like in that much pain, you're already going to sleep. You're sleeping with a bunch of snores. The tent's going up and down with the snoring and banjos or whatever. And you're not getting any sleep and you're carrying, hopefully your backpack's a little lighter by this point because you ate some food. Yes. How do you do it? What, what do you tell yourself you're going to do? Yeah, that was honestly the biggest challenge I think I've had in my life that, that day. So, uh, and it was probably even worse the night before, you know, you've got this humongous day ahead of you and the, the desert, I, which I never really realized, but it goes from essentially zero at night to 45 degrees in the day. So it was so cold. And my sleeping mattress had a hole in it. So it went down. The people were snoring. Like everything went wrong the night before this longest march. So I was in a sort of state of far out. This is going to be the biggest day ever. And I haven't even started the first step on this 92K. So I started off just saying, I'll see how I feel. And unfortunately, again, everyone started fast. So I had to keep up. And I felt like that was the worst thing I could have done because the first 10 Ks was stupidly quick and I really ran out of energy quickly and I, I was hurting everywhere more than I should have at that point. So, and that's when everything sort of spread out, like I said. So everyone had gone out fast, but then so many people then changed their pace or stopped and walked or had a rest. And because essentially you just have to finish the day uh, the whole 92Ks within the day or you're disqualified. So you do have to keep moving the whole time. Um, and then, like I said, having that six hours essentially by myself was the best thing that could have happened as well because I think it gave me a chance to just focus on just getting the steps, just moving, just like I said, 500 metres and then walking for whatever, 250, 300 metres, whatever it was at the time, whatever I'd set on my watch, that's what I'm going to do. And then if I felt okay, then I'd say I'd, I'd actually run 600 meters. And so I'd change that up each time. I listened to so many podcasts um, I had, which was great. I had, like I said, had your playlist fish and had the headphones and was listening to the music. And then, then I just got sick of it. I just had to tune out of everything. I think my mind just needed some peace. And because I was just focusing on each step and it, it literally got to that point where it was, a step it wasn't even looking oh shit I've got another 60 kilometers to go it's like if you just do another step you're getting closer to the finish line and that was breaking it down like that I think was I guess the only way I got through it and there's this one section where you come around a corner and actually looking ahead and it's just a gradual incline up this sandy road and you can't see the finish like it's just into the horizon and nobody behind me, nobody in front of me. And, and just having that little bit of an incline made it so much harder. Like it was, I was already exhausted. And again, just when I get to that point, you get to the top of that hill and then there's just another hill and another hill. And it was phenomenal to, to just see, yeah, I guess step by step you, you keep on moving. And then eventually, like we said, we, we actually got to it. There was one checkpoint. And they surprised everybody with a hot can of Coke. And that was <laughs> heaven. I, I could not like describe how good that was. Like just having the sugar and actually something other than water and dehydrated food. So that sparked me on for maybe, maybe five Ks and then it all ran out. 
ran out of energy again. But yeah, it was one of those epic moments again. You just you appreciate the the little things when you, when you're in that sort of frame of mind. Yeah, totally. And like you said, mate, your um your pack was almost like twice the weight of some of the other other ones that have perhaps done that that sort of race be- before. Did you ever want to take the pack off? And if so, why didn't you? Yeah, I think the fact that I mean I was probably the laughing stock of most of the guys there. Like it was, it was like, what is this crazy dude doing carrying all this stuff? And and like I said, we'd finish and I'd pull out my uh, solar charger. I'd have my music. I'd have my headphones. I'd have my chocolate. Your pajamas. Yeah. Your nighties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Massage cream. No, just it was like <laughs> had, had far too much stuff. Um, but it was never ever an option like it was yeah i i put up with it i i made that decision to carry it um and it was funny like they did say if you ever did want to take your pack off to go to the bathroom say off the track or something you had to leave that pack on the track so that marshals and anyone else actually knew you were there if you passed out or or got eaten by a lion or something um so i actually never took it off like i just didn't want to take it off like i i just made sure that and, and that was the funny thing, like you're drinking all this water and everything, but hardly ever go to the bathroom. You're just so dehydrated, trying to get as much back in your body. But I never got to a point where I thought if I'd stop and take my pack off, that's it. Like I'm never going to let that thought get into my head. Um, it was pretty powerful, I think, to yeah understand that I I didn't ever cave in to those thoughts and um but when you do cross the line into the tent and you have a chance to then take your pack off, it is one of the best feelings in the world to, to have that weight taken off and just the air sort of go through your back. And yeah, it was very nice in that sense, but ne- never, ever thought about giving up. You talked a little bit about the guy on your tail on that last day, the last 10 kilometers or whatever. And I know you pretty well and I know you're pretty competitive and I just want to know, you know, you've never done it before. You kind of fell in your lap. You wanted to do this challenge, prove it to yourself. Why did you want to come in 14th? Like, are you just born competitive or is it something you're raised with? Or like, do you develop this over the years? And who did you want to beat? And why did you want to beat that guy so bad? Yeah, it was funny. It was, yeah, I've always been competitive. And maybe because of my dad, he's very sporty and We've always challenged each other and squash or golf or whatever we play, we always try to beat each other. And that's been instilled in me since I was a kid. But on this day, it was even back to probably one of the messages, Screw had sent a message and just said, fuck, you're coming 14th, mate. This is unbelievable. I'm here doing budgets. I wish I was out there with you, sort of sort of taking the piss. But and he just said, I can't wait to celebrate and have a uh, red wine and a couple of rums with you. And I think the fact he'd said, you're coming 14th was in my head as well. Like I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to let family down, everyone that I'd mentioned and had been tracking me. And it would have felt really bad to, in my personal mantra of, of letting someone beat me at that point. Like if you've got 10 Ks to go after five days, 240 Ks down the track and this guy pushed me the entire way, like literally beat him by 30 seconds. Like it was, he was on my tail the entire 10 K, but I just, every time he'd put a surge in, I'd, I'd have to counter that. And it was stupid. Like it honestly, I look back on it now and I was like, I'd be happy with 15 probably, but, but honestly, I know I'm not, but at that time <laughs> it was just one of those things. I just, 
I've, I've never yeah let myself I guess feel like I, I, I couldn't have caught 13th in that time like I knew that they were whatever ahead of me and that wasn't part of the the strategy it was just to hold on and not let that dude beat me I'll um it was fun he, he was very uh upset and angry because I think that was in his head that that was his whole goal to beat me so it was it was satisfying as well <laughs> to know that that had finally ticked the box and, and got over that line. You are absolutely one of a kind. I, I've never met anybody like you. Um, I, I don't know, Ross, do you have any other questions? This is an incredible story. Yeah, I think my final question would be, um, if you knew that those lions were tailing you, mate, would, would that have made you move a bit faster? Or do you think do you think you would have uh, not been able to move any faster than you were already going? Oh, mate, I, honestly, it, it wouldn't have changed anything other than I would have been a little bit more scared. But it was so amazing to think that this wild animal with cubs as well. So they tracked her and two cubs, like which is probably the worst combination of anything. But luckily, we, we probably smelt worse than a dead animal by that stage. So she, she, she wasn't going to eat us. But yeah, that no, it, I couldn't have gone any faster and, and I certainly wasn't going to stop. So maybe it, maybe it motivated me to keep going, but that's it. <laughs> And, and again, another another little sort of chapter to the book. It was just phenomenal to have that experience in itself. Yeah, what an what an incredible story, mate. Do you have any, I guess, final tips or final words for our fighters out there around resilience, mental toughness, or perhaps just taking on new challenges? Yeah, like I said, I really just would like people to think about what they can achieve and and what they can do better, and and involve family and friends and set goals and. Like I said, I just I really don't like when I hear people giving up or if they have tried to start a new fitness regime or try to eat healthy and it's just too hard and they just don't follow through on it. Everyone's got that ability. They can do it. It, it affects everything. Like I said, your energy levels, your relationships, your productivity at work. It, it's just so important that you do do that. And I know I've taken it to the stupid extremes, but like I said, break that down to just making that one decision each day that is a positive one and, and being a nice person. Like I think I always just try and reinforce that. That's do what you want others to do to you. Like if you, if you're a nice person, you look after them, you care about them, you ask how their day's going, all that little stuff from like mindfulness, like you said, being resilient that, you know, it's not going to be easy, but you have to just continue to have a, have a crack at it and try and keep getting up. If you get knocked down, just know that there's, positivity and there's people around you that's going to help you continue to get there so i think like i said always reach out to the amazing healthwise team around the world like we're, we are here to help that so it's it's always the way that if you want any advice or you need a challenge or you need some help with anything then pull in the people that can help you with that as well so we can make it a little bit easier and if anyone ever wants to do a massive big ultra marathon i'll i'll come and join you i'm happy i'll do another one I, i'm definitely not going to tick that box off and say no to anything. Uh, if there's anything, anyone's got another challenge or anything they've got around the world, lock me in. You'll be there. Nice. Well, thank you very much for jumping on the podcast today, mate. We absolutely appreciate your time. Uh, incredible story. Thank you very much for jumping on. Thanks, Thanks so much, guys. Todd Horton. What a legend. There you have it, guys. That was episode seven of the Encouraging the Conversation podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, you learned something, or maybe you just felt inspired to take on a new challenge, please drop a like on our Spotify. It really helps us out, and we'll catch you in the next one.